Hello and welcome to Code Conversations, a new podcast series from the CNM Magazine that focuses on interpreting the National Electrical Code. I'm Ellen Parson, Editor-in-Chief of ECNM, and I'm sitting down today with NEC expert Russ LeBlanc to discuss difficult to decipher concepts surrounding the 2020 NEC in 15 minutes or less. Code Conversations is one of the many new benefits available to our free members-only portal available on our website, ecmweb.com, located under Premium Content. Most of you probably already know Russ. He's a master electrician, electrical instructor, trainer, certified electrical inspector, and longtime contributor and code consultant to ECNM Magazine, bringing you some of our most popular pieces of content, including what's wrong here, moving violations videos, and illustrated code catastrophes. For today's episode, we're going to talk about why discrepancies seem to often come up with emergency disconnects and the practical applications of Section 230.85. Russ, let's jump right into it and get to the root of why this requirement causes confusion. So the idea of providing a disconnect on the exterior of one and two family dwelling units for emergency personnel to have the ability to turn off the power quickly and without the need to enter a burning or flooded building with all of the circuits still energized, that sounds like a great idea in theory. So when it comes to the code though, why do you think the practical applications of the requirements in section 230.85 cause such confusion? Thanks, Ellen. Well, the first sentence of this rule requires, quote, all, all service conductors to, quote, terminate in a disconnecting means installed at a readily accessible outdoor locations. Now, there are three options provided as a possible means for complying with this requirement, but installers may need to be very particular in installations in order to provide a code-compliant installation. For example, service conductors for an overhead service installed from a weatherhead and then terminated in the line side terminals of a meter socket technically would not comply since they are not, quote, terminated in a disconnecting means, quote, unquote. However, conductors run from the load side of that meter socket to a service disconnecting means installed adjacent to the meter socket enclosure would comply since at least one end of those conductors are terminated in the service disconnecting means. Does this mean the service disconnecting means must be installed in the circuit ahead of the meter socket in order to provide a code compliant installation? I think the answer is yes, based on the literal wording in the first sentence of the rule. I don't think that's the intent of this rule though. So conductors on the load side of the service disconnect are feeders that are not required to comply with section 230.85. So does this section apply to the grounded neutral conductor too? Why or why not? Uh, Yes, while the service neutral may terminate in the enclosure for a disconnecting means such as a circuit breaker. The first sentence does state in part, all service conductors shall terminate in a disconnecting means. In this case, the circuit breaker itself is the disconnecting means. The enclosure is not a disconnecting means. So if the circuit breaker is used as a disconnecting means, the literal wording in 230.85 requires the ungrounded conductors and the neutral conductor to be disconnected uh, by the circuit breaker too. And circuit breakers that switch the neutral in addition to the ungrounded conductors are available, but I'm not so sure the intent of the rule was to have the neutral connected this way. Using a meter disconnect or other listed switches or disconnects may cause some additional confusion. Do do you agree with that? Or why, why do you think that's the case? Well, for example, service conductors terminated in a meter disconnect may comply with the rule, but 
the conductors terminated in the load side terminals of the meter socket installed adjacent to the meter disconnect switch and then run to a panel board inside, technically do not comply with the literal wording since they're still considered service conductors by definition, but they don't terminate in a disconnecting means outside as required in the first sentence of 230.85 for, again, quote, all service conductors. So does this section also apply to repair work or is it only for new installations? Well, certainly new installations would need to comply, but unfortunately the code is silent on this, on whether repairs or replacements uh, would trigger the requirements in 230.85. There may be some local laws or regulations in place to address you know, whether this rule applies to repairs or partial replacements of services, uh, such as replacing only the meter socket or only the panel board, for example. But this is definitely a discussion that needs to be had with the local AHJ to determine which types of repairs or replacements may trigger all the requirements in 230.85. Unfortunately, I think the present wording can lead to a wide variations in interpretation and some uneven enforcement. Great, that's exactly why we're talking about these types of things. So it's really important to, to understand that often it's, it's difficult to decipher this wording. So always ask uh, for additional information if you need help. Uh, does Section 230.85 pose greater challenges for underground services compared to overhead services? I think underground services can sometimes pose real significant challenges. For example, I've worked in Boston and uh, many other cities in the area in, in, um, in New England uh, with brownstone buildings and townhouse-style buildings where the utility wiring is run underground from the street directly through the foundation and then into a tap box into the basement of the building. Now, in previous editions of the code, wasn't a big a big deal because the service disconnect could be installed right next to the tap box in the basement. But now, unless the utility is going to dig up the street and the sidewalk to reroute their conductors back outside, then the service entrance conductors from that basement tap box may need to be installed in a raceway encased in two inches of concrete or brick in accordance with 230.6 and then rerouted back outside of the building and terminated wow. in a disconnect outside. That's a pain in the butt. And I, I've actually had to do that myself where there was really no other option because the utility was not going to dig up their wiring. Mm -hmm. And the NEC doesn't apply to the utility wiring. So in order to keep the service conductors technically outside of the building, we had to encase them in concrete, go outside wow. and then come back in. It was a real pain mm -hmm. to do all that work. Another problem that these row houses or townhouse buildings pose is the lack of any acceptable location to install the disconnect. They're very narrow and there's virtually no space on the front of these buildings to install this type of equipment. Plus, it won't look very nice to have this disconnect on the, you know, the front of a historic building. It's, right. you know, it's not a very good option. So it can be really challenging when renovating these existing buildings. How are the grounding and bonding requirements affected by the installer's choice of disconnecting means? Oh, man, this is, this is really one of the most confusing parts of this rule because depending on the type of disconnect that is used and then how it's labeled can completely change the grounding and bonding requirements, which is really a hard concept from some electricians to grasp. For example, if a circuit breaker used as an actual service disconnect is installed outside and marked emergency disconnect and service disconnect in accordance with 230.85, number one, then the panel board inside is actually a feeder panel board or what some electricians might refer to as a sub panel. This means that 
the ground electrode conductors for the service get connected to the outside service equipment, not the feeder panel board inside. And the neutrals and equipment grounds in the interior feeder panel board are kept separated. However, that same exact type of circuit breaker can be installed outside and marked emergency disconnect, not service equipment in accordance with 2385 number three. And now the panel board inside is still considered service equipment and the grounding electrode conductors can be connected to the service panel board inside and the neutrals and grounds are bonded together in that service panel board. So these you know, varying grounding and bonding rules can be very confusing to grasp, even for experienced electricians uh, who may need to retrain their brain in order to get used to doing things uh, in a new way. Definitely, that sounds like it. So, Russ, what can installers do in the arrangement of these installations in order to, pro to provide a code-compliant installation? Or what words of wisdom do you have for our listeners right now trying to navigate uh, this type of situation or installation? Uh, well, uh, like a lot of code rules, the idea behind mm -hmm. this new requirement is a very sound one. In fact, I really love this idea. I really do. It's one of my favorite new rules, but I think uh, some of the wrinkles in the wording need to be ironed out. I, you know, certainly installing a properly marked service disconnect in a readily accessible location outside ahead of any metering equipment is definitely one way to comply. When it comes to some of these other arrangements, I think, you know, that's a conversation you may need to have with uh, your local AHJ to figure out you know, what they're going to be okay with and what their interpretations might be. Okay, thank you. That is definitely good advice. So in order to stay at 15 minutes or less, I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, but that was a great discussion on a very focused topic that I think will be very beneficial to our readers. Uh, it looks like we're about out of time. So I want to thank you, Russ, for sharing your unique insights from the field and industry knowledge with us today. And in closing, I'd also like to thank Associate Editor Ellie Coggins for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. That's it for today's conversation. Please let me know if you have any pressing NEC podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out the Members Only Portal on our website for more podcasts and other great content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.